0: It's the living, breathing Word of God. We're going to be exhorted again tonight to make sure we're people of God's Word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask now as we go to Your Word that Your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Lord, give us ears to hear what Your Spirit would say to us. Make this the most attentive hour of our day as we open up Your Word and we read it, obey it. Lord, help us to apply it to our lives. May we leave here more in love with You than when we came, because to know you better is to love you more. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name. We pray and all God's people said, Amen. So Ezra, so we saw in First and Second Chronicles, that was a history lesson for those coming back from Babylon into Jerusalem after they had been taken away captive because they had gotten caught up in idolatry and God allowed Babylon to carry them away. When you get to Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther... They're the last three books chronologically, historically, that we see in the Old Testament. All the other books, all the prophets that we read about in the Old Testament all take place either before that time or during that time. So this is a time like Malachi is somebody who was at the same time of the chapter we're going to look at tonight. And so this is like the last history portion, the two books of Nehemiah and Ezra, are things that are taking place during in Judah during that time, and then we're going to see with Esther she's actually in Persia, and she's going to get married to uh, Xerxes. Um, but he, we're going to see the guy who comes after him in tonight's chapter. So a lot of this stuff is taking place at the same time. And then the other thing we need to know about tonight is there's a sixty year gap between Ezra chapter six and Ezra chapter seven, and Ezra chapter one through six. It was Zerubbabel who came back from Babylon. The king Cyrus said they could go back, they could return. And when they returned, about 50,000 people went with them. If you've been here for the last six chapters or so, we saw that when they got there, they rebuilt, they started to rebuild the temple. They at least built the foundation. They had an altar. They started worshiping the Lord. Uh, the, The young men were excited and the old men were weeping because the young men, never saw the temple that was there before. They were just blessed to be able to worship God after being in pagan, you know, land of Babylon for all that time. By the way, this is also a time right alongside when Daniel was in Babylon as well. So the older men were upset because they had been there when the temple was torn down. And for them, it was heartbreaking. And so we know that they were there and they had started worshiping the Lord. They started having Passover again. And the people were so excited. And then the king got word from some of the locals who said, you better not let them rebuild that temple because they were a mighty nation and that nation will get mighty again. And they'll come against you, king. And the same king we're going to see in tonight's chapter got petrified and sent back and said, tell them to stop building. And so they stopped building. And so we're going to just see the transformation in these separate kings. Uh, that it's going to be another king after him. But we're going to see how the kings early on are afraid to have them build. And in tonight's chapter, God's going to turn the heart of this king to have them not only tell them to go ahead and rebuild, but he's actually going to help finance it and say that anybody that doesn't follow the true and living God, that he's going to give Ezra the authority to bring divine discipline. And we're going to see in tonight's text that God is the one who can change the hearts of anyone. He's going to use this pagan king one of the pagan kings who had taken people captive, and now he's going to be promoting the gospel. So, chapter one through six focus on Zerubbabel and the rebuilding of the temple. Chapter seven, eight, nine, and ten all focus not on the physical building, but the spiritual health of the people. So the building itself was a place where they worshiped God, it was a picture of the cross, the altar, Passover, picture of the blood of the lamb in shape of a cross. It was all pointing to Jesus. And now in these last four chapters, the temple has been rebuilt now. Sixty years have come by, gone by. Ezra was born. The temple was already there by the time he was born. And now he is going to come into the land, and God is going to use him. He's a scribe. He's a, he's a priest and a scribe. And we're going to see how God's going to use him to help the people get their eyes back on the true and living God. Now, that's a great chapter for all of us because all of us could be closer to the Lord than we are right now. Amen. And we should not be satisfied ever where we are spiritually. So the first return, about 50,000 came. On this return, it's going to be about 2,000. The tragic part is they were in bondage for 70 years and they got so comfortable in bondage, they didn't want to go back to the land that God had promised for them. And we need to be careful that we don't fall into that same trap that we're so comfortable in the world that we cease to have an eternal perspective, that we cease to long for heaven, that we cease to reach out to people and point them to the Lord. If you want to know what what the time was like, read Malachi, because Malachi was written about the land in this exact time. And we're going to, and you can, so if you go through and read Malachi, it's only a few chapters. You can do it in a short amount of time. The people were blaming the Lord because they were going through tough economic times. So they didn't blame Biden. They blamed the Lord. Okay. (laughs) So they were blaming the Lord and they accused the Lord of being unfaithful to them. And it was a time of moral decline and being, you know, lazy in their faith. So they were lazy in their faith. Talked to a guy just this week. It just cracks me up well, you know, pastor, man, I mean, you know, uh, it's like eight miles to your church now. You know, I live in, I live in Calabasas. That's a long drive. We're going to see the people tonight walk 900 miles. They're going to walk 900 miles for four months to get to the place God has for them. And sometimes as Christians, we don't want to get in our car and drive eight miles with the heater on. So Malachi brings a rebuke to the people of Judah for their being very ritualistic, their moral degeneracy, uh, warned of God's impending judgment. And the Lord made a clear distinction between both the obedient and the wicked. Our God is a God of love and grace and mercy that desires that none should perish, no, not one. He he, he, He desires that all of us would spend eternity in heaven. But as we talked about so many times, God has no grandchildren. You know, your parents' faith doesn't save you. Your neighbor's faith doesn't save you. Your pastor's faith doesn't save you. Every one of us needs to have a relationship with the Lord. And either if, as, if we walk with the Lord and we obey the Lord, God blesses us. Now, it's not the way the world would think necessarily. The blessings that we have are the ones that are eternal. Doesn't mean we won't go through trials because we will. But then there's also the righteous judgment upon the wicked. And so it's to this Judah where there's a moral decline where the temple's been built, but just because the temple's there doesn't mean the people are worshiping God like they should. And so Ezra is coming into this land where they're nowhere near where they should be in their relationship with Almighty God. And he's going to come to bring spiritual, uh, spiritual restoration amongst God's people. And that's going to be the focus. So if you have your outline, grab it. I titled the message, The Man God Uses. And we're going to look at the life of Ezra Uh, we got 28 verses to look at tonight. And so he's a man that God uses. What kind of men, what kind of women does God use? What can we say about people that God uses? Number one, the hand of the Lord was upon him. So he's got a godly reputation. He's a man of the word. And let me just say this. I want to tell you how you can grow in your faith. It shouldn't be that difficult. It's usually written right here, but we have a different thing up here right now. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by... God. So if we want to grow in faith, we need to spend time in the word of God. It's a reason that we spend an hour every Thursday and an hour every Sunday. And then we have Bible, we have the men's studies this Saturday. We have Bible studies all the time. Why do we do that? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And as we grow in faith and grow in our relationship with the Lord, we also see something else of fault comes upon man, and that's the Holy Spirit. We see it in Acts chapter two, and in Acts one, it says, go and wait, the Holy Spirit shall come upon you. And And so Ezra is a man who is a man of the word, and he's a man who has the power of God upon him. And the power of God comes from knowing the word and walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And that's the kind of man or woman that the Lord can use, someone where the hand of God is upon them. And again, it's the power of God that comes from the Holy Spirit. Number two, the man or woman that God uses is, a fa- is faithful to God's calling upon his or her life. Every one of us, every one of us that's born again has a gift and more than likely many gifts, spiritual gifts that have come from the Lord. And God hasn't called us to be like the parable of the talents and bury them in the sand. God's given us gifts so we might use them for his kingdom and for his glory. So many of us have been ministered by other people faithfully using their gifts. Amen. People showed up and set up chairs. People showed up and hooked up the, you know. People brought tacos so you could be fed after you come straight from work. And you know, people are using their gifts so that we all can be ministered to. People come and lead us in worship. They practice so we can enter into His presence. And so He is faithful. He is faithful to God's calling upon His life. So a man or woman God uses has a heart for the Lord. Prepares his heart daily to be used by the Lord. When was the last time you woke up and said, "Lord, use me today"? Can I encourage you? every day for the rest of your life, when you wake up, Lord, use me today. Lord, bring divine appointments into my path today. Lord, I want to have an impact on eternity today. I promise you that is a prayer that God will answer every single day. Amen? And the re- we have not because we ask not. Really quickly, I went to Costco uh, uh, yesterday and I'm not even doing anything, and I had three divine appointments. I'm standing there wondering why they don't have enchiladas. I was kind of bummed. So they have that, you know, those pre-made meals. I'm like, they ain't got kind of no enchiladas. What's up? This guy walks up to me, and of course, I'm wearing a Jesus shirt, and I got a hat that says man of faith. And he goes, are you a man of God? I said, absolutely. He goes, I got questions for you. I'm like, okay. And he went down the list of, I prayed, I prayed, and God didn't answer my prayer because my mom died. I prayed, God didn't answer my prayer, my wife died. I prayed, God didn't answer my prayer, and I have HIV. And I prayed, and everything I've prayed for, God didn't answer my prayer. Where's your God when I'm praying? And I said, bro, I'm sorry to hear you've been through all that, but can I tell you something? Do you know the Lord? Do you have a relationship with Him? No, I don't. I said, well, how do you expect to have someone listen to you when you don't know them. Amen. Amen. I said, there's a prayer that you can pray. It's a prayer of salvation and God will hear that prayer. But the point, you know, and we talked for like 45 minutes and then his girlfriend came over. His wife had died a while back. I ended up laying hands and praying for both of them. And it was a God thing. And then I walked down two more aisles. I meet a lady. and She's asking me if this these frozen foods are, are buying her good. And I'm like, well, yeah, they're, yeah. They're, I mean, I eat I'll eat any lasagna. I don't care. And so I'm just talking to her. And, and she starts saying, well, I'm new here to the area. I said, really? Where'd you come from? We start talking about the Lord. And I started telling her I was a pastor from a church. She said, where's your church? I want to come. So I gave her my card and I'm praying with her in the frozen foods. I'm like, man, I'm just going to hang out at Costco <laughs> from now on. But the point is I didn't do anything. God just, here you go. You prayed for this today. Here you go. Well, guys, God brings divine appointments in our life, and we should be praying every day to be used for the kingdom of God. Amen? And you know what? And the Lord knows if you're shy. He'll just bring you somebody who's not shy to talk to you. Like the guy that said, are you a man of God? I'm like, yeah, bro. I am. And he didn't hear the answer he wanted to hear from me, but it's okay. And I prayed with him, and I gave him my card, and hopefully we'll see them at some point. So he's faithful to God's calling upon his life. Number three, knows that nothing is too difficult for God. How many of you know that God can do anything? What's the answer? And you know why we don't pray for certain things? Because we sometimes think it's beyond God's capability. I pray for Gavin Newsom to get saved. Can God do that? Some of you are going, oh, no, I don't know. He can do anything, but I don't think about that. But we have not because we ask not. Amen. And we need to be praying for people, and we need to know that God can do anything. You know, when my son passed away two years ago, and I'm not ashamed to say this, we went in and we saw my son, and after everybody was done, and we, were just, we had been weeping for an hour and a half, when they went out to the car, I literally climbed up on the table, got on top of my son, and prayed and asked God to raise him from the dead. We have not because we asked not. God said no, but could God have done it? What's the answer? So see, too often we're afraid to pray for things and we don't pray for things because we think they're beyond God's capability. Our God can do anything. That's the God that we serve. He said light is and light was. He put the stars in the sky. Can he take care of your finances? Can he heal you physically? That's the God that we serve. Know that that nothing is too difficult for God. That's a man or woman God can use. Number four, recognize that he alone is in control It says, truly the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord like the rivers of water. He turns it wherever he wishes. And we're going to see in tonight's text, a pagan king being used mildly by God. We saw how God used Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel. And God will take even ungodly people to bring about his perfect will. I do believe Nebuchadnezzar is saved and we'll see him in heaven. I sure hope so. And then finally, he thanks the Lord for all that he's doing. Whenever God uses him, whenever God uses her... Person that God uses that truly is walking in the Spirit, never takes the credit, never wants anybody to tell them how amazing that they are. And when people bring it up, they just point them to the one, Almighty God, because it's only by the power of His Holy Spirit that we can do anything. Amen? So let's take a look at the man or woman God uses, even when we're surrounded by a lost and a dying world. Let's begin there in verse 1, looking at the hand of the Lord, is upon him. So the book of Ezra, we've gone through six chapters. We're finally going to meet this guy. So six chapters of Ezra, Ezra's not in it. And now we're actually going to meet this man. It says, now after these things, so after these things, there was a amount of time, 60 largely uneventful years take place. We can get more detail by looking through some of the prophets. But during those 60 years, we don't have anything recorded of what's been taking place in Judah. And so the ruler of the Persians, was, which was once Babylon, is a man by the name of Artaxerxes. So in Daniel 5, Babylon fell, remember, to the Medo-Persians. If you were here on Sunday, we saw Belshazzar praising the God of gold. And we saw God bring righteous judgment upon him. And that was when the, the Medo-Persians took over. This is a Persian king who was ruling. Now, this is the king who is a descendant. He was the next king after Xerxes, who married Esther. So this is the king that that went into power right after the king that married Esther. Artaxerxes was successful, again, the successor, and the events of the book of Esther all took place between chapter 6 and chapter 7 of Ezra. So when you read Esther, you'll know that that 60-year gap between Zerubbabel and them rebuilding the temple, there was a 60-year gap in time, and that's when Esther took place. And that's when the teaching of Malachi took place. And those are places that we can look and, see and fill in that gap. Now, notice what it says there. In the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra, the son of Sariah. Now, Ezra, his name means, I love this, his name means help. What, what, what's one of my favorite prayers? What is it? Lord help. Lord help. Lord Ezra. Can I get an amen to that? Ezra's name means help. And God is going to send this man to go and minister to the people in Jerusalem, in Judah, who now have been back there for 60 years. They've gotten settled in, but their walk with with Almighty God is not where it should be. When they first came back, they were excited. A whole new generation of people have been born. Time has gone by, and Ezra's going to be sent back to come back and bring revival back to Judah, to bring revival back to Jerusalem, to wake them up and get their eyes back on the true and living God. Now, it says of him, we know that he was a priest and a direct descendant in the line of Aaron. We'll see that through verse 5. And he could have functioned as a high priest, yet he was no more as a scribe. Now, scribe, when you hear the term scribe, people think, oh, he just made copies of the Bible. Well, I believe that's part of what he did, but a scribe was someone who taught the Bible. Now, first of all, I had thought about doing this years ago. Wouldn't it be awesome to sit down and handwrite an entire copy of the Bible? Wouldn't that be awesome? You know, if you took all your Netflix time, you could probably do it. Can I get an amen (laughs) to that? If all the time you're on your, on your phone and started doing it, you know, it would take, I don't know how long it would take, it would take years. It would take thousands of hours probably to transcribe it. But, but a man who's handwriting out copies of the Bible, do you think he gets to know God's word? And not only that, they cannot make a mistake. And that ritual cleansing, like when they would put one letter in the name of God, they would have to go and cleanse themselves and change their clothes and put clean clothes back, come back, put the second letter. and go. I mean, it was, it was a deal. So he was a man who transcribed the word, but he was also a man who taught the word. He was a man that exhorted people from the word. So, so he was a scribe, but he was also a teacher. He's actually often called the father of Judaism. Judaism, An ancient rabbi said, if Moses had not received the law of God, Ezra would have gotten it. Some people refer to him as the second Moses. So Moses is somebody that revered greatly because he's the one who God gave the word of God to, who delivered the word to the people. And they viewed Ezra in the same way, that this was a man who honored God, who worshiped God, who made copies of the Word of God and delivered the Word of God and taught the Word of God. And so Ezra is a man that was used mightily by God. He's the author of First and Second Chronicles, Ezra and Nehemiah. And some have suggested he may have even written Esther as well. He was responsible for the establishment of synagogues. And he was also going to be the one who had them meeting every week on the Sabbath. So church services, in a sense, were established by Ezra. Because what they would do is they would come and make sacrifices, and there was ne- wasn't necessarily a teaching time. And Ezra is like the, the first time we're going to see the word sermon or pulpit or in the book of Ezra. And so he's going to be a man who's a man of the word, and he's going to be gathering the people together once a week to study the word. And it's really where we get the whole picture of what we do on Sundays, is we get it from example we see in Ezra. It's going to be in later chapters. Again, he, he established a synagogue. There was to be a, see, a system to help people learn the law of Moses in a setting near their homes on a weekly basis, rather than just going to Jerusalem three times a year. Because see, people lived throughout all of Judah and Jerusalem for some of them was days travel away. And so instead they put a place where they could go and study God's word near their homes. Praise God for Ezra because boy, that's still happening today. Amen? We believe this would be a precursor of uh, what we call sermons today. In the book of Nehemiah, we will see him teaching the people and the word pulpit will be used. The first mention comes from Ezra. Now it's going to tell us some genealogy about him, but anytime there's a genealogy in the Bible, people skip over it. You need to know it's in there for a reason. Amen? If God put it into existence, God had people write it down, He guarded it, and He brought it to, you know, thousands of years into the future, we ought to be able to read it. Can I get amen to that? People go, oh, if it's a genealogy, I just flip over it. Well, God put it in there for a reason, and we want the whole counsel of God, not just the part that's easy to read. Amen? Verse 2. Notice it says, the son of Sarai, second part of verse 1, the son of Azariah, the son of Hilkiah, the son of Shulam, the son of Zadok, the son of Atub the son of Amariah, the son of Azariah, the son of Meritoth, the son of Zeruah, the son of Uzai, the son of Bukai, the son of Abishah, the son of Phineas, the son of Eliezer, the son of Aaron, the chief priest. Why is this genealogy here? It's connecting Ezra all the way back to Aaron, the first high priest. So he is related to the high priest. Now in the old covenant, the high priest was the only one who could enter into the Holy of Holies. And he could only enter in on the Day of Atonement, where he would go in on Yom Kippur, and he would go in and he would make the sacrifice. And he was the only one who could do that. And, and the, what a priest was, especially the high priest, it's an intercessor. He would go and speak to God on behalf of the people, kind of like Moses did on Mount Sinai, and then come down and deliver it to the people. And so a high priest would speak to God on behalf of the people and then speak to people on behalf of God. Now, who are the priests today? What's the answer? We are. we are. The Bible says we are priests. Now, we're not guys sitting in a box with a black you know, collar telling people to say 50 Hail Marys to be forgiven. When Jesus died on the cross, he paid it in full, and we don't need to do that. Amen? We don't need to pray with vain repetition. Now, what's being said, though, is he, it connects him to the priest that he is an intercessor, that God is going to use him to speak to the people on behalf of Almighty God. Now, when Jesus died on the cross, we don't have high priests anymore because we have a high priest, and his name is Jesus Christ, who is seated at the right hand of the Father, who intercedes with the Father for us. And again, God uses him through his word to speak to us on his behalf. Amen? So we don't need the high priests anymore. Now, you'll notice there too that it was son of Aaron, and that's the connection So his genealogy goes back to the high priest, his ancestors. This list isn't complete. It skips some generations. But the point is to establish Ezra's credentials. If he wanted to be a priest according to the law of Moses, you had to be able to prove your genealogy back to Aaron. And if you couldn't, you could not be uh, in that priestly line. You You could be a Levite. All priests were Levites, not all Levites were priests. So some of the Levites were not related to Aaron. And so here was a man that was called by God, uniquely gifted by God. And we've seen times where people tried to be a priest when they weren't. Remember the rebellion of Korah. Read Numbers. See how that worked out, what God thought about that. It says in Numbers 18, therefore you and your sons shall... You shall attend to your priesthood for everything at the altar behind the veil, and you shall serve. I give the priesthood to you as a gift, a service, but the outsider who comes near shall be put to death. Only the one who was called by God to be a representation or a picture of Jesus Christ could come near to the Holy of Holies. If anybody else came near, they were struck down dead. And you can see that with Korah. You know, it's interesting. There, there are Jews today that are trying to find ancestors to Aaron. And if we had gone to Israel, we would have been going in a month. That kind of canceled, right? But there's an institute where they've literally got the golden lampstand. They've rebuilt it. You know, they've got the altars. They've got the bronze altar. They've got a red heifer. They've got all these things that are all ready, and they just need the opportunity to start rebuilding it. Now, I personally think that won't happen until we're raptured. But they're trying to find somebody that you know, through genealogy somehow that will go back to Aaron. I have no idea how they think they're going to do that. Uh, one of the many, 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 many flaws in Mormon theology, which shouldn't be called theology, it's a fairy tale, but Joseph Smith, uh, both, you know, they, they create their own priest. And one of the things that one of the main characters does is take some of the sons to be priests. It's a Nephi. And in doing this, this character is violating the law of Moses. The Mormon church claims that on May 15th, 1829, John the Baptist conferred the Arianic priesthood to Joseph and a man by the name of Oliver Cowdery. Guess what? The Bible would say that is not the case. Amen? This is why we don't just listen to what people say. We need to know what the word of God says. You will not fall for a lie if you know the truth. Amen? Well, I'm, a, I'm, I'm an apostle. No, you're not. Amen? Apostle, Reverend, Bishop, Dave. When people do that, it just makes me sick. You know why they do? They, they're so full of themselves. And the reality is, they're the name of the 12 apostles in heaven. It's in Revelation. We saw it. Guess what? There's 12 apostles. You're not one of them. Amen? An apostle needs to have seen the living and risen Savior. Have any of you seen the living? You're not an apostle. Amen? But this is what takes place when, we, when, we, when we, we're loose with the word of God. And the Word of God is the foundation for truth, and we don't listen to what others will say. Jesus is our intercessor. He's our great high priest. He's the only mediator between man and God. There is no other mediator. And from verse 1 through verse 5 there, we see the connection between Ezra and Aaron. And so this man is a priest. He could have been the high priest. He's a scribe, which means he's a copier of the Word, but he's also a man who teaches the word. And this is a man that God is going to use. Verse 6, this Ezra came up from Babylon and he was a skilled scribe in the law of Moses, which the Lord God of Israel had given. The king granted him all his requests according to the hand of the Lord his God upon him. Now I could teach this verse for an hour because the first thing that we see is that Ezra comes up And he was a skilled scribe in the law of Moses. So a lot of times, again, when you hear scribes, a lot of times in the New Testament, the scribes were kind of a mess. Who are they usually linked to? You see them, the scribes and the Pharisees. What do we know about the Pharisees? A bunch of self-righteous hypocrites, right? Jesus called them a brood of vipers. You know that they they look good on the outside, but they were filled with dead men's bones, right? And the scribes are always kind of linked with them because there would come a time in Jesus's day that the guys that made copy of the word didn't know the author, didn't have a relationship with him anymore. But in this case, this man, notice what it says there, that he was a skilled scribe in the law of Moses. Literally, when you look in the original language, it kind of means that he was a man, he would be like educated to the point of being an attorney. Like He knew the word of God like the back of his hands. He was a man who studied it. He was a man who copied it. He was the man who taught it. He was a man who would interpret it. He was a man that could deliver it. That was Ezra. Man, I like this guy more. Amen? The more I get to know about him, the more I like this guy. So Ezra comes up from Babylon... One of the later Jews that returned to captivity, and his name stands very high in Jewish tradition, regarded again by many as the second Moses. He was born after the temple was already built, and now he's going to take this long trek we'll talk about in a moment. They're going to travel 900 miles, and he's going to go there to deliver the word of God and get the people back on. So the temple's there, but the, the faith isn't. And guess what? There's nothing new under the sun, there's a lot of religious buildings that are nothing more than monuments to what once happened. Amen? Where the buildings are empty, the the Holy Spirit has left the building and nobody's even noticed. You know, it's been said that if if you took the Holy Spirit out of the first century church, that everything would change and everyone would notice. But if you took the Holy Spirit out of the church today, very few things would change and not many people would notice. Because we so program church sometimes that we've lost sight of the fact that we come here to meet Almighty God. That's why we're here. And we need the Holy Spirit to teach us, the Holy Spirit to exhort us, the Holy Spirit to convict us. Without the Holy Spirit, this is just the Elks Club. Amen? Put horns on the wall. It's not church. Nothing wrong with the Elks Club. It's not church. Can I get an amen to that? And so he was a skilled scribe, a skilled scribe. Was, again, many got their start as those who made copies of scripture. The word skilled there is quick, prompt, ready, skilled. He was ready. He was ready to share the word of God. He was skilled in sharing the word of God. He was quick in responding to the word of God. This is a little off track, but I love, I have a nightly humility pill. It's called Jeopardy. You ever watch that? So I watched that show and I love when a Bible section comes up because I'd be betting my house. You know what I mean? But the point is like, do we know the word of God? Do we know it? We should know it as believers. Amen. We should, we should study it and read it. We should memorize scripture. It should just be a part of us. It should be oozing out of us, amen? And you know what? That was Ezra. That's the kind of man that he was. He was a skill strive. Three His three main duties were to preserve the word of God, protect the word, make it available, make copies of it, to teach the word of God, to educate the people in what the word said, and then thirdly, to administer the word of God, to interpret it, and to apply it to people's lives. you're new to Calvary Chapel, I've said this many times, the way that I teach is called inductive Bible study. Inductive Bible study is, there's OIA, observation, what does it say? Interpretation, what does it mean? Application, how does it apply to your life? And as I'm going through verse by verse, I'm telling you, here's what it says. Here's what it means. Here's how it should apply to your life. And so he was a man who not only taught them the word, but interpreted the word and applied the word. So that's where you get OIA. We get it from Ezra. Now, notice what it says here. It says there that at the end of verse 2 that he was a scribe and it said, the king granted him all his requests. Ezra found favor with the king. Why did he find favor with the king? Well, it's in the rest of the verse. Notice what it says there. The king granted him all his requests according to the hand of the Lord his God upon him. God's hand was upon Ezra. I would hope and you know it's a little shocking when someone comes up to me and says, "Are you a man of God?" I would hope we get all. Are you a woman of God? I, I I think we can all say, and it's not being it's not being prideful just to say, "Yes, I am." Amen. We should be identified with the Lord. We are His people. We've been adopted into his family. When I lived in Santa Cruz, my dad was a pastor there and uh, people would run into me and go, are you Johnny Johnston's son? I would say, absolutely. We love your dad. I said, yeah, me too. Amen. I thought you looked like your dad. You know, and they would say things like that. Now, why I'm not ashamed of my earthly dad. Why in the world would I be ashamed of my heavenly father? Amen. And Ezra, man, he's like, this is who you're identified with. The hand of God's upon you, bro. You know why the king gave you favor? Because God's hand was upon you. Now that word upon, where do you think, what what does that make you think of? The Holy Spirit shall come upon you. Spirit's with you, in you, or upon you. He's with everyone. They call him their conscience. When you give your life to Jesus, he goes from being with you to living inside of you. Never leaves you nor forsakes you. It's a down payment on heaven. Jesus said in Luke, He breathed the Holy Spirit in the apostles, but go and wait. For not many days from now, the Holy Spirit shall come upon you. So subsequent to salvation, there was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. As my dad used to say, whether you call it the baptism of the Spirit, the indwelling of the Spirit, the filling of the Holy Spirit, whatever you call it, just get it. Amen? And we need us to decrease and the Spirit to increase. There needs to be less of us and more of Him. And what that verse says is the hand of God, the presence of God, the power of God is upon Ezra. And because of that, he finds favor with the king. The king is going to give him everything he asks for. Now, you can walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, and there'll be times when you won't get what you ask for. But in this case, God is going to use him mightily, and God is going to use a pagan king to help equip him and prepare him to be used for the Lord. The hand of God is synonymous with his power, And again, Acts 1.8, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. God's presence in our lives, God's power producing fruit through our lives. Years ago, there was a man by the name of Guy Duffield, and he was in his 90s in like 1989 when I went to hear him teach at a men's conference. And and man, and I love that, I mean, they literally had to carry the brother up there. He was like 98 years old, and they, you know, he got up there, he was sitting on a stool, and his hands were like this, and he was teaching the Word of God. And he was talking about the power of the Holy Spirit. I've never forgotten it, and that's got to be 40-something years ago, 40, roughly 40 years ago. He's, tell, he's telling us about the power of the Holy Spirit, and here's how he drove it home. He said, I would rather walk through a dynamite factory with blow torches than go out and try to live my life without the power of the Holy Spirit. He said, I'd rather be uh, taped down to a floor in front of a steamroller being driven by a blind man than go out into the world and try to live my life without the empowering work of the Holy Spirit. He had like 30 of these. And there's 1,200 guys in there. We're laughing at every one of them. But the whole point was, I don't want to, without the power of the Holy Spirit, we cannot have an impact on the world around us. Amen? We will not grow spiritually, our gifts will not be fruitful our lives will not be fruitful. Without him, we can do nothing. But I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so why is it some of us, our lives are dry. Maybe there's not a lot of fruit in the ministries we're a part of. We're not seeing opportunities to share our faith. Well, again, that's not God's fault. That's our fault. Amen? The eyes of the Lord search to and fro among the holder or seeking one who can show himself strong on account of when his heart is faithful to him. It was God's power at work in and around Ezra that brought favor from the king in Ezra 7, it says, because of this power within him, God grant, that the king grants his request. In the land of this chapter, to, the, God will grant him mercy before the king. In chapter 8, God will give him understanding, power, and wisdom because the Spirit is upon him and delivered him from the hand of the enemy in chapter 8, verse 31. Again, because he's empowered by the Holy Spirit. The sad part for me is to see people who profess to know Christ and their lives are dry and their lives are fruitless. they got saved soul and wasted lives, having no impact on the kingdom of God. Uh, when they wake up in the morning, they're just bummed out about the day instead of recognizing, Lord, use me today. Lord, let, me, let today have an impact on eternity. Give me an opportunity to point people to you. So point number one there, the hand of the Lord is upon him. He was a man of the Word. He was a man who taught it, interpreted it, preserved it, the hand of God seen in the power and presence of God, the powering of the Holy Spirit upon us. So if we want to be men and women that God uses, we need to walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Point number two, he is faithful to God's calling upon his life. Verse seven, some of the children of Israel, the priests and the Levites, the singers, the gatekeepers, the Nethanim, came up to Jerusalem in the seventh year of King Artaxerxes. So the seventh year, this would be 457 BC. By the way, you know that the Bible, you can can find out dates. That's another reason there's genealogies in the Bible. Amen? Because through the genealogies, we can tie down dates, plus through things that have been discovered historically. So this is 457 BC. The temple was completed 58 years earlier in 515 BC. So that's the 60-year gap between chapter 6 and chapter 7 is the temple had already been completed and now we're in the seventh year of King Artaxerxes. So it's about 70 years after Zerubbabel, uh, the first exiles, returned to Jerusalem. Now it says there, some of the children, a vast majority chose to remain in the land of captivity. Some went. Now again, if I came to you guys tomorrow, forget that we have cars, and I came to you and said, hey, I feel like the Lord is calling us to go back to the place where the first church was and god wants us to go back and rebuild everything and it's going to be a 900 mile walk who's in it's going to be scorching hot all the way there it's only 500 miles as the crow flies but we're going to walk a long way along the river euphrates so we don't die of thirst or you could stay here where everything's comfortable and some people chose to live in the pagan land of babylon now persia instead of going to serve the lord and the sad thing is that a lot of Christians were more concerned about being comfortable than about being obedient. Amen? So some of the children, a vast majority chose to remain, remain in the land of pagan idolatry and physical comfort, instead of returning to the land of promise given to them by God, where the Lord dwelt, where the Lord is worshiped. And again, most cho- chose worldly comfort and compromise the faithful obedience to Almighty God. Verse 8. And then it says there, and Ezra came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was in the seventh year of the king. Then it says in verse 9, On the first day of the first month, he began the journey from Babylon. On the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem according to the good hand of his God upon him. So it took they literally left on the first day of the first month. It's like leaving on January 1st on our calendar. Their calendar is different. And then arriving May 1st. So 900 miles about 120 days, that's about seven and a half miles a day, trekking through the wilderness, carrying all their belongings or whatever they've got with them. They might have probably had some camels or something. I don't know. But they traveled that great distance and they were doing it because they felt called by God. But here's the sad part. It was 2,000 people. Less than 2,000 people went out of what probably would have been millions that stayed. And you know what? Many are called, but few are chosen. And, you know, the the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. And, guys, I want to encourage you. You be called by God and don't worry about what everyone else is doing. Well, he's not doing it. He doesn't do anything at church. He just shows up late. and Let them. That's between them and the Lord. We need to be faithful to the calling God's place on our lives and not worry about anybody else. Amen? Be faithful to that. So their journey took four months. It was no easy task. It required determination and dedication. Many, like I said, many complain about a 10 mile ride to the church. I mean, I would come to church, but, you know, it's like 10 miles. Guys got Dodger season tickets. I'm like, how long does it take you to get to Dodger Stadium? How long are you waiting in that parking lot? Where your treasures, their heart will be also. Amen. I'm usually I'm a super kind and gracious guy, but when you start giving me that nonsense, well, I'd love to come to church. I miss you guys. We have not moved. We can fix that problem. Get up at nine o'clock. Nine o'clock. I'm not talking about three in the morning. Get up on nine on Sunday, get in your car. You have to put it in D and drive. You'll be here in 10 minutes, bro. It's not that hard. Where well, your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Amen. But notice what it says here. I love this it says there, according, at the end of verse 9, it says, according to the good hand of his God upon him. That's the second time he said it. Ezra credits the success of their four-month journey through the what was largely wilderness to the good hand of God upon him. How did you guys make it? You traveled 900 miles. How was it? God's good. He brought us home. Whenever God does something, give God the glory. God doesn't do things because of us. He does things in spite of us. Amen? We're just, you know, he says he uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And so when they made it and they got there, and no doubt the people were excited to see some more people come from Babylon, it'd been a long time since anybody had come. And what does he do? The first thing he does is give God the glory to the good hand of God upon him. While they chose to go and prepare and endure, God, again, was given the glory for their success. You know, when we lead somebody to the Lord or God gives us an opportunity to pray with somebody, aren't you just so blessed that God would use you? Amen? Amen. Instead of walking around going, well, of course God uses me because I'm, you know, I'm all that. No, no. Stop. Can I get amen to that? If you're going to be like that, let me know so I can move aside a little bit, right? So when the lightning hits, I don't get smoked. But here's the point. Too often, you'll hear people brag about how much they're used by God and all the things they do for the Lord, and it's nauseating. And If it nauseates me, it must break the heart of God, amen? I go to conferences sometimes, they're not Calvary Conference, I go to conferences sometimes, and the guy's introduction will be 12 minutes, and he did this, and he did this, and he did this, and, he did this. and then he'll get up and mention eight more things that he did, and I'll be looking at the people at the table, wow, God's incredibly blessed to have that dude on his side, what would he do without him, right? <laughs> There needs to be humility like Ezra saying, it's God who did this. It's God who did this. To God be all the praise and all the glory and all the honor. Amen? Look what it says in verse 10. For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the Lord, to seek the law of the Lord, and to do it And to teach statutes and ordinances in Israel. I love this. This is underlined in my Bible, and I'm I'm gonna underline it again when I get home, and it's got pink ink on top of that. Why? Ezra prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord. When was the last time you prepared your heart to enter into God's presence in his word? Can I encourage you before you open up the Bible that you prepare your heart? You come confessing before the Lord if there needs to be confession. That you come and say, Lord, please, when you inhabit my time with you right now, Lord, may your Holy Spirit speak to me. Lord, if there's things I need to confess, if I need to be exhorted, Lord, if I need to be rebuked, please rebuke me. Lord, as I open up your word, please speak to me, Lord, and help me to be faithful to whatever you show me, to not only read it, but to obey it. And you prepare your heart like, Lord, here I am. I want to meet you here. Too often it's like, Oh, where's my yellow thing? Okay. So what am I on today? I got Matthew 5, through 7. And again, it's great. And then you turn over there and then you, you, you give it this kind of reading while you're eating your Wheaties. And then, and then you leave. Now again, doing that is way better than not doing that. But we, we, you know how attentive? We're attentive to television. We're attentive to sporting events. And sometimes we read our Bible like, like a three minutes. Let me go ahead and knock this out. Guys. <laughs> We need to give God our full attention. Does he, is he, does he deserve it? Is he worthy of it? Ezra prepared his heart. He, was pre- he prepared his heart. He wanted to be used by God, a prepared heart. That's where it all starts. If you don't want God to work in your life, he won't. I believe that if you want God to work in your life, you'll consider getting serious about these next three things. And the first one is seeking God's word. Notice it says to seek the law of the Lord. I haven't said this in probably a month. This is 66 books written by 40 authors on three continents and three languages over 1,500 years with one central theme and no contradictions. How is that possible? Because God wrote it. So Almighty God wrote you a love letter. God wrote you a diagram, B-I-B-L-E, basic instructions before leaving earth, right? God put it in your hand and says, here's how you are to live your life. And what do we do? We run around and we, we, get, we panic and we want to find out what the world has to say and what should I invest in and what should I do? And our whole life is wrapped up in stuff that's all going to burn anyway while the Bible sits there collecting dust. We desire the word of God more than our necessary food, Amen you guys all had tacos tonight and they're good tacos. Guess what? This is better food. Can I get an amen to that? Better than than Ruth Chris Steakhouse. It's right here. Amen. Doesn't cost $400 a plate either. Open it, read it, obey it. He had prepared his heart to open up the law of the Lord. He he wanted to be attentive. The other thing that I've, I've done myself, anybody ever fallen asleep reading your Bible besides me? Am I the only one that's ever done that? You know why that happens? Because you waited too long to read your Bible. After I watch 47 episodes of something, and then, you know, you go into bed, and you're, right? We want to give God our best and our our attention. He prepared his heart. I'm going to go hang out with the Lord. I'm excited. I want to go hang out with the Lord. When I was in Santa Cruz, when I would study for church, even though we had an office, often I would drive down to the cliffs. I had a And there was a spot that overlooked the ocean, and I would just sit out there for 15 minutes talking to the Lord before I opened up my Bible and started reading it. And it was just like my God time. And I don't want to be distracted by anything else. And so he prepares his heart. This is why he's a man that God can use, because he's a man that seeks God's word. The word to seek there is to inquire, to study, to follow, to seek with application. The word the law there is the word Torah, where we get the word for God, it's where we get God's word. And so, the Bible says to be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And as we walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, then it gives us understanding of what the Word of God says. And then we can apply it to our lives and live it out loud. Notice that he doesn't just prepare his heart to seek the law of the Lord, but to do it. Now, you heard me say this often. If Monday doesn't change, Sunday doesn't count. If Friday doesn't change, Thursday doesn't count. Right? If we read the Bible like it's Moby Dick or, you know, we're just getting educated, okay, well, I know that now. I've memorized that verse, and that's great. We should do that. But it ought to change how we live. Amen? If we just open it and read it, but we don't do it, first of all, as guys, we never look at the instructions. Is that not true? Uh, Well, I'm going to try to fit, I'm going to put this thing together and I'll look at the instructions if I mess it all up right? And there's always screws left over, and you know you're in trouble, right? And you got to start all over, right? The smart ones read the instructions. Sometimes we do that with the Lord. We don't read the instruction manual. And then we wait till it's all messed up, and there's some screws loose, right? And then we got to go back and go, okay, Lord, what the heck happened here? You know, you could have started with me. could have started with the instructions before you messed everything up. But notice what he says. He studied it. He was prepared his heart for it. And now he went out and prepared himself to go do it, to obey what the Word of God says. Open it, read it, and obey it. Amen? Then he says, and to teach statutes and ordinances in Israel. You know who can't teach the Bible? People who don't read the Bible. At least I hope not. They shouldn't teach it. Amen? That hasn't stopped a lot of people I've seen lately. But the reality is that you can't teach something that you don't know. I can't introduce you to somebody I've never met and I can't teach the word of God if I don't spend time in it. You've heard me say this many times. God made me a pastor because he knew I needed to be in the Bible 40 to 50 hours a week. But by the time I get up here to teach you guys whether it's time or a Sunday, I'm 25 hours, 30 hours in sometimes and that chapter is just coming out of me. Cuz I've gotten I've just I've just been so drenched in that text, having read it literally maybe a hundred times, studied it verse by verse, break it all down, time in prayer. So by the time you get up to share it with somebody else, it's become a part of you. And guys, it's hard for us to share God's word with someone else if the word of God isn't a part of us. People ask you a simple I don't know. You know, I've only been a Christian 57 years. I really don't know the Bible. we got manuals for driving cars, and we we can figure out all the laws. We need to figure out the law, the word of God, amen? So notice, not only to do it, but to share it. He wants to seek seek the law of the Lord, seek the Lord in his word. Then he wants to take it and be faithful and obedient to it, and then he wants to share it with other people. And as believers, the most selfish thing we can do is go to heaven by ourselves. Do people need Jesus? What's the answer? Yes, they do. I'm praying for that couple yesterday. Are you a man of God? Yes, I am. Why won't God answer my prayer? I've been looking for somebody I could talk to about this. Great. I'm right here, bro. And I prayed for him, but I told him again, if you don't know God, you can't have a conversation with them until you give your life to him. Amen. So no offense, bro, but you were yelling down a well. God didn't hear your prayers, but you know, we could fix that today. We can change that right now. Amen. So we need to have that heart prepared to to seek the law of the Lord, to obey the law of the Lord, and to share the word of God with others. Godly character comes when we seek the Lord, when we obey his word, and then when we share it with others. You know who has to know the text the best and who gets the most out of the text? The one teaching it. It's been said, a mist in the pulpits, a fog in the pew. If the guy standing up here doesn't understand the text, the people out there are going to have no idea what he's talking about. Amen? If you want to teach somebody else, you have to know it better than anybody else in a sense. And so Ezra got to that place because he's going go to ba- go back to Jerusalem and he's going to walk into where they've walked away from the Lord again. There's been moral decline and he's going to come into the city and try to get all their eyes back on the Lord again. He's going to come back in and reestablish what the priorities and their passion ought to be. And we need people to do that. Number three, knows that nothing is too difficult for God. Look at verse 11. This is a copy of the letter that King Artaxerxes gave Ezra, the priest, the scribe, the expert in the words of communications of the Lord. I love these names, these titles he keeps getting. Look what it says. Ezra, the priest, described expert in the words of the commandment of the Lord. He's an expert in God's word. He knows God's Word. It's like part of him. He's a, Ezra is more than just a glorified secretary or a copyist. He was trained expert in the Word of God. Now notice what it says in verse 12, Artaxerxes, king of kings, to Ezra the priest, a scribe of the law of the God of heaven, perfect peace, and so forth. I issue a decree that all those of the people of Israel, the priests and the Levites of my realm who volunteer to go up to Jerusalem may go with you. So there had been previous kings that wouldn't let them go. They'd been drug away and captive. Now God in his perfect timing, 50,000 people had gone. Now it's another 60 years later and it's a new king. And the king says, hey, if anybody wants to go back with you, to Jerusalem, you have my permission to take them. So anybody who wanted to go could go. Then it says this, and whereas you are being sent by the king and his seven counselors to inquire concerning Judah, Jerusalem, with regard to the law of your God, which is in your hand. Now, the transition that's taking place here, back in Ezra 4, at the beginning of the reign in in, uh, Israel, in Judah, the king heard that they were building, and some of the neighbors said they used to be a mighty kingdom, and they scared the king, so he told them to stop building. Then you just fast forward about seven years later, and he's actually sending uh, Ezra with his gifts to the temple. So he's going, okay, I didn't want you building it before, but now I'm going to let you go. So God's moving on the king's heart. I don't want you doing that. Stop doing that. Now he's sending people. But then when you get to his 20th year, he's going to send Nehemiah to rebuild the walls. So what happened? God changed the king's heart. Amen. Can God change the heart of ungodly people and authority in our country? What's the answer? That yes. we don't pray for it enough. I know I don't. But the point is that God is going to take a man who was petrified before, who's now going to stand with him and send him off. And he's even going to send money with him and give him permission to go. And notice what he says in these verses here, in verses 12 through 14. Not only did Ezra go to Jerusalem, he was sent by the king to gather information about Jerusalem and the surrounding areas for the king and his counselors. And he says, whoever volunteers to go up can go. See, so he hoped to encourage others to go with Ezra to increase the chance of success. What in the world happened to this king? Did he get saved? The answer is no. He's still a pagan. But God can change the hearts of man. He guides it like a river. He can turn it on a dime. And we need to be praying that God would do the same. Verse 15, it says, Whereas you carry the silver and gold which the king and his counselors have freely offered to the God of Israel, whose dwelling is in Jerusalem. Now they're giving him gold and silver. Now, we're going to see in a minute why he does this. Part of it is that Artaxerxes is kind of like when we saw Cyrus. You know, he believed in all gods as much as he could believe in any of them, and he kind of wanted to have his bases covered. As long, if so, if I worship all the gods, then I'll, I'll get the one that's right. Well, that doesn't work that way. Amen. If you, if you, you know, Jesus alone is salvation. But here he is in a position where he's going to actually pay for the trip. He's giving him gold out of his own treasury and to go back and to worship and serve the true and living God. And he says there in verse sixteen, and whereas all the silver and gold that you may find in all the province of Babylon, along with free oil offering of the people and the priests, are to be freely offered for the house of their God in Jerusalem. So he's saying, look, we're going to give you some money. You can go collect money from all the people from Judea who aren't going back with you to help go back and restore the city. Use the use the money for you know to promote what your God would have you do, and thankfully. Um, there are going to be people that contribute, but the king is the one that's driving this. Verse 17 says, Now, therefore, be careful to buy the, with this money bulls and rams and lambs with their grain offerings and their drink offerings and offer them on the altar of the house of your God in Jerusalem. The king's telling him, Now take some of this money and buy sacrifices so you can make sacrifices when you get there. Can you imagine if Joe Biden came on TV and knew where he was, um, and said, okay, the, the government of the United States is going to give every church in America this amount of money to buy Bibles, to uh, you know, upgrade, upgrade their facilities, and uh, we're going to have a national prayer week for an entire week, and make sure you take some of this money for all of that. That's what the king's doing. He's sending them back, by the way, make sure you buy the sacrifices you're going to need. He doesn't even know God, but he understands that they make sacrifices. And he knows what kind of sacrifices they are. Make sure you buy bulls. Make sure you buy this. Make sure you get grain. Make sure you get all the things you're going to need so you can go and worship the true and living God. From instructing them all to stop building, to encouraging Ezra to go and join, giving them uh, the things that they would need to go worship the true and living God. Point number three there recognizes that he alone is in control. A man of God, a woman of God recognizes that it's God and God alone is in control. He's got to be baffled already by all this stuff that the king's doing. How in the world is the king He's giving me gold? He's telling me I can go? He's helping me go? He's rounding people up so they can go with me? Wow. How in the world? Well, because our God is greater and our God is in control. Amen? Verse 18. And he says there, And whatever seems good to you and your brethren to do with the rest of the silver and gold, do according to the will of your God. Now notice he doesn't say our God, but he does say, hey, we're going to give you this money and, you know, whatever you want to do according to the will of your God, just do it. Have you ever met any leaders that do anything like that? It's only because of the hand of God. Be careful what you know careful to buy with this money Ezra carried with him government money that was meant to advance the interests of the king but what the king told him to do was to do things that would allow them to sacrifice and whatever else they needed to go ahead and buy it it's a mighty move of God upon the heart of a king from Babylonian slaves to allowing the people to return and out of fear that a great kingdom would arise to be a threat, made them stop building, now sends people, resources, and money, and encourages sacrifices and worship to the true and living God. God can move a pagan king and he can move the heart of our president. Amen? And we need to be more praying for things that seem impossible. Notice it says in verse 19, also the articles that are given to you For the service in the house of your God, deliver in full before the God of Jerusalem. When Zerubbabel left, he took some utensils and that's it. This time with a lot less people, they're going to be taking back most, if not all of the things that had been in the temple before. Remember when Nebuchadnezzar overran Jerusalem, he stole all the items. They put put the temple to the ground. Uh, Jerusalem itself was rubble, and he had taken it back. And if you were here on Sunday, Belshazzar was using one of these implements to praise the God of gold and get, have a drunken party. Well, now the king has taken and given them all of the stuff that belonged in Jerusalem, all, these, all this gold and all these things that belong to them, and says, take them back and put them back where they belong in your temple and use them for the worship of your God. It's just mind-blowing that you can get a pagan guy who worships idols to do this. But it shows you who's in control. Amen. Because our God is the one that can steer a river one way or another. Then he says there in verse 20, uh, verse 19: also the articles that are given to you in the service delivered uh, in full before the God of Jerusalem, and whatever more may be needed for the house of your God, which you may have occasion to provide, pay for it from the king's treasury. By the way, if you get there and you run low on money, we'll cover it. Wow. I believe there are people that believed in God that gave nothing, and you got a pagan king willing to give everything. And again, it's only because of the power of God. And he says in verse 21, And I, even I, Artaxerxes king, issue a decree to all the treasurers who are in the region beyond the river, that whatever Ezra the priest The scribe of the law of God of heaven may require of you, let it be done diligently. And he called the land of Judah and beyond it, the land beyond the river, the Jordan River. Right? What do they say, right? What's the chant of the the Palestinian terrorists right now? What is it, from the river to the sea? And they want to wipe out everything in between, and that's Israel. And so, so he's saying that everybody beyond the river, when you get there, if you run out of stuff, the other people that are there, Go to them, and they need to give stuff to you. So you can go and tell them, the king told me to come to you. And he says to go there diligently and ask of them whatever you need. And it says in verse 22, it says up to 100 talents of silver. By the way, I calculated that. I'm a math guy. Uh, In today's price, that's $3,063,600 of the silver. There's only 2,000 of them. They're doing okay. You're going to have enough revenue, right? 100 cores of wheat, 100 baths of wine, 100 baths of oil and salt, which preserved, uh, which prescribed without prescribed limit. Uh, You know, in the Bible, salt was used to preserve stuff. The Bible tells us we're supposed to be the salt of the earth, amen? We're supposed to be the light of the world. What does salt do? It brings flavor and it preserves things that would rot otherwise. So here we have a pagan king offering his own treasury, as well as the distant pagan nations he rules over to give Ezra and the priests whatever they needed so they could worship the true and living God. We're almost done. Verse 23. And it says there, whatever is commanded by the God of heaven, let it it diligently be done for the house of the God of heaven. For why should there be wrath against the realm of the king and his sons? Now here's why he's doing it. He's saying, look, whatever your God wants, do it. Whatever your God says, do that. It's amazing to me when you're reading this, it sounds like he's a believer. Whatever the God of heaven wants, do that. But notice what he says. He's not worshiping God because he esteems him highly. Here's what it is. Look at the end of verse 23. For why should there be wrath against the realm of the king and his sons? You know what? Give God whatever he wants so he doesn't torch us. Give God whatever he wants so he doesn't bring righteous judgment against us. Whatever your God needs, we'll give it to him. Now put an orange in the lap of Buddha on the way out of the Chinese restaurant just in case, right? That kind of mentality. And we're going we're to do things, right, in hopes that we cover all the gods and we don't want to get in trouble with any of the gods. And there's only one true and living God. We all know that. So his motive was to win favor with the people, but to cover all his bases in regards to the gods. And even though King Artaxerxes had the wrong motives, God still moved on the king's heart and used his action to bring about his will. Even though he did it for the wrong reason, God still used it for his glory. His motivation was wrong, but it still got Ezra back to to Judea, and he's going to bring revival to the land. And that would not have happened if the king's heart had not been changed and sent him. And so God will even take unbelievers to, to do certain things that will bring about God's perfect will, even if their motives were all wrong. Because he's the one that's in charge and in control. Notice what it says there in verse 24, also we inform you, there shall be unlawful to impose tax, tribute, or custom on any of the priests, Levites, singers, gatekeepers, nethinim, or servants of the house of God. Man, he's blessing. He's like, oh, by the way, if they're serving the house of God, no taxes. A lot of times their taxes were a majority of what they made. And he's like, if they're serving in the house of God, no taxes. And you, Ezra, verse 25, according to your God-given wisdom, set magistrates and judges who may judge all the people who are in the region beyond the river, all such as know the laws of your God and teach those who do not know. Man, how, is, how are you not saved? telling him this? Here's what he's telling them: Look, when you go, you put all the people in place to do all the judgment for the city. You decide who the governor's going to be and the legislators and the judges. You put those in place, only put people there that know the true and living God. And then the people that don't know God, teach them about God. That's what he's telling them to do. This guy's leading a missionary trip and he's a pagan idolater who doesn't even believe this God exists. But yet here he is just in case. And God is using this pagan king to promote promote the work of the temple, but also, again, to exhort them to be faithful To what would later be the Great Commission to go, therefore, into all the world and preach the gospel. Verse 26 Whoever will not observe the law of your God and the law of the king, let judgment be executed speedily on him, whether it be death or banishment or confiscation of goods or imprisonment. Look how much power he's giving Ezra. Ezra, when you get back there, if they don't obey the law of your God, you can kill them if you want. Read it. You can just banish them if you think that's a good idea but whatever you decide, whatever they're doing, you're in charge. If they, won't, if they won't learn the word, then you can do it. If they're disobeying the word, then you're going to be the one. Now, the king itself, he does also say, or the law of the king. People disobey the law of the king. So, the, so not only is Ezra being sent back, not only is he being given enough wealth to make sure everything's taken care of, not only does he have ongoing taxes that, are, that, that won't, be, won't be taxed, He'll have ongoing ways of collecting money to make sure he can continue. He'll take whatever you need from the king's treasury. He's been exhorted to teach the word of God so that everybody knows it. He's given be given power and authority for anyone who would live contrary to the word of God to bring righteous judgment upon them. Wow. And all of this, Ezra didn't really do anything. God did it. Ezra was willing to go, and God did the rest. Amen. Ezra was. I'll go. Okay, here's what we're going to do for you. We're going to line all this stuff up, and we're going to make it all happen. That's our God. Notice he said, according to your God-given wisdom. The pagan king attributes wisdom to being given by the God of Ezra. You know what? The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. There is no wisdom apart from God. Amen? The Bible says, for those who don't know the Lord, proclaim it to be wise, they become as fools. He says, teach those who don't know. That should be an exhortation for every believer. Amen? Teach those who don't know. And we can't teach them if we don't know ourselves. Imagine a Christian governor being given the authority to teach everyone what the Word of God commands, and then the authority to righteously judge those who do not obey the Word of God. imagine if our governor came on TV tomorrow and said, okay, here's the deal. If you steal stuff, you're going to jail. If you, can, if you, if you have a baby aborted, you're going to prison for the rest of your life. If you do this, if you're committing adultery, you better, you better get right with God and stop it. You know, if you're living in sin, you need to move out. Can you imagine, and by the way, and if you don't, righteous judgment's coming. The sad part is righteous judgment is coming, but it won't have that warning, unfortunately, for most people. Amen? He desires a none should perish, no not one. How, how many of us deserve hellfire? Raise your hand. We all do. So we're not being self-righteous, but man, I love that. I mean, imagine how this must have shaken things up. We're going to see it in coming chapters. When Ezra comes to town and starts preaching the gospel again, it's not the gospel, but He's, he's telling the truth and he's pointing it back to God and the, the sacrificial and all of that and saying, Guys, you've got your eyes off the Lord. Time to get right with God. He's going to go down there and stab him in the front. Amen. And then finally, thanks to the Lord for all he's doing. Let's see how it ends. Blessed be the Lord God of our fathers who has put such a thing as this in the king's heart to beautify the house of the Lord which is in Jerusalem and has extended mercy to me before the king and his counselors, and before all the king's mighty princes. So I was engaged. I was encouraged. And as the hand of the Lord, my God was upon me, and I gathered leading men of Israel to go up with me. One man was willing to go. It changed the heart of the king. He gave him everything he needed to go, and that encouraged other men to go with him. And often it takes one person to step out in faith before others will join. Sometimes one person's got to stand up and be the one to proclaim the Lord. Somebody's starting a Bible study in your office. You know, God will move on your heart, set a Bible study in your neighborhood. God will do something in your heart. And then when you step up, other believers will step up too. But sadly, you know, too often we're all so afraid of men than we are faithful to God. Ezra sees all the king has done in the letter coming from God. Notice he says, blessed be the Lord God of our fathers. He didn't say blessed be the king. He said, Blessed be the Lord God of our fathers, who moved on the heart of the king. Because the king didn't do this. God did it, just used him. Amen? This is where we give God the glory and we take no credit. We always point to the Lord. Again, that verse is truly the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. And he says he was encouraged. You know, as believers, it's encouraging. When the Lord speaks to you and through you. When you spend time in His presence. I went home yesterday and I had another divine appointment, a third one. And I get home and I'm just like, thank you, Lord. I didn't do anything. I, did, I actually did not say a word to anybody. They all approached me. I was just standing there. And then the, to, the Lord to allow me to speak on His behalf. And what a blessing that is. Amen? Amen. And guys, don't... I mean. Too often we say, well, I've never, I don't know how to share my faith. You can tell them your testimony. Here's who I was. Then I met Jesus. And here's who I am now. Can we all do that? Yeah. Before I met him, here's who I was. Then I met Jesus. And here's who I am now. Do you all know John three sixteen? For God's love of the world gave his only begotten son. Whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You know, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. But if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you'll be saved. That's Roman road. Amen. He was encouraged as the hand of the Lord was upon him. There's, there's few things more comforting than being in God's presence. Well, there's nothing more comforting than being in God's presence. Amen? A verse that God's been really using to speak to me, let me close with this. I had a tough week when it comes to my son. Some weeks are better than others. Some weeks are just tough. Sometimes it's almost unbearable, just being transparent. And this is the verse that God brought me back to. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. See, this t- the suffering we go through in this life is temporary. We need to have an eternal focus. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. Guys, if we have an eternal focus, we won't be afraid to tell people about Jesus. If we have an eternal focus, we'll step out in faith and use our gifts If we have an eternal focus, we'll be so heavenly-minded that we'll do a lot of earthly good. Can I get an amen to that? And God used Ezra because he was willing to go. Now, and then he became a man who purposed in his heart, prepared his heart to read the word, to obey the word, and to share the word. Can I encourage us all? Let's begin our day doing that tomorrow. Can I get an amen? So in closing, the man or woman God uses, the hand of the Lord, the Holy Spirit is upon them faithful that God's calling upon his or her life, knows that nothing is too difficult for God, recognizes that God alone is in control, and thanks the Lord for all he's doing. Lord, we thank you. We praise you. We love you. We thank you for your word. Help us, Lord, to live lives that impact eternity. I pray that tomorrow you would bring divine appointments for every single person in this room, whether it's in the workplace or As we're walking through our neighborhood or when we go to the grocery store or wherever we may go, Lord, may we just simply be tools in the hands of the Master ready to be used for your kingdom and for your glory. Lord, I thank you for everyone who's here tonight. Whatever trials they may be going through, may you comfort them. In areas where they're weak, may you strengthen them. If they're feeling lonely, may they know your presence and your peace and recognize that they're not going through this alone. May they know that you're a faithful God. That if we're going through something heavy with family members, a boss at work, whatever it might be, Lord, we know that you can turn the river. You can change the direction. We ask for your will to be done. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said.